0: Take your Bibles and turn to John 17. Uh, Like last week, the words aren't going to be on the screen, so if you need to use one of our Bibles, there should be one under the chair in front of you on the the rack. And if you don't have a Bible, keep that one. Take it home with you. And then you have a Bible. It's no longer ours. It is yours, and we are fine with that. John 17. Uh, The truth to believe... Jesus today is praying for the mission, the mission that he set in motion. But first, our memory verse. With more blanks, the slide uh, creator is mean. I just got in trouble. All right, let's say it together. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because apart from me, uh, you can, wait, oh, sorry, I'm doing an older version. Because you can do nothing without me. My Father is revived by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. John fifteen five and 8. I stumbled a little bit. I think one or two of y'all did, too, though, so we'll stumble together. We'll keep working on that. We've got a few more weeks. The slide creator is going to just take more words out, though, so I'm warning you. We've got to memorize it. Got to work on it. Ma'am? I don't think she can be bought. No, I'm pretty sure she's straight-laced on that. John 17, prayer for the mission. Uh, this week was... Interesting preparation. I won't go into all of it today, but I I enjoyed preparing for this sermon. It is an incredible feeling to come to chapter 17 and know that the Savior of the world prayed for us 1,990 years ago. You know, we can be that, almost that precise. It probably wasn't 33 A.D., but if we do with the zero, he was probably born in 4A, 4 B.C. And, but still, let's just go with zero. 1,990 years ago, like just a few weeks ago. Anyway, that's cool. He prayed for us. And, and let me encourage you this week sometime uh, to go back and read chapters 14 through 17. All in one sitting. Because then you get to the prayer after you've had him teach you for three chapters. Teach, 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 pray that we remember what he taught us. And it'll make a lot more sense. And and you know, week to week we chop it up and 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 we talk about it and we go in depth, and that's great and we need to, but sometimes we need to step back and, and see the whole context again. Because we may have forgotten where this prayer uh, came from. And as a matter of fact, I would encourage you, because I'm not going to do this today, but I would encourage you to go back and read John chapter 1, then 14, 15, 16, and 17. Because chapter 17 brings a lot of closures, not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway, to chapter 1. A lot of uh uh oh there's a word referencing. Um it's not the word I want, but anyway, it 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 says things uh in a different way that were said in in chapter one. So I encourage you to do that. So we we come to this chapter and, and Jesus is praying for himself, his disciples, and then us, but we have to be careful that we don't think incorrectly about this prayer. Um, praying for us was just a small part of this larger prayer, and, and we often divide this prayer up is exactly like I, I've said. The first section is prayer for himself, then the largest section is there in the middle, 6 to 19, prayer for the disciples, then 20 through 26 is the prayer for us. Uh, that's not wrong. That is actually very Obviously what happens, and we preachers often divide this prayer up if we were just, if we were going verse by verse through John, we would likely have divided this chapter up into three weeks and taken it just like that. But it is a somewhat incomplete view, or it can be if we're not stepping back. So this week is another 35,000 foot view of a chapter. There's a lot, a lot of theology here, That, especially when we get to verses 20 through 23, that we could really dive in and chew on, and we're just not going to do that today because we're going to take this this broader view. We're going to see the three sections, the three big sections, and each of those three sections have a little marker to tell us they're three different sections, and it's some version of the word pray. You see it in... uh, 17.1, he looked up to heaven and said, or he, he, he prayed. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and prayed, Father. Uh, verse 9, where he uh, says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. And then verse uh, 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those. Those are good markers for those three sections. Turns out, though, that there are markers for seven subsections. Michael, you're talking about sections and subsections and paragraphs. And uh, Are you a lawyer or something? Uh, Just hold on. And no, I'm not. There are seven subsections that begin with the name Father. Except for one, we'll talk about that when we get there, verse 17, there's sort of an implied father there, and this is all uh, just so you you know you, nobody says well he's, he's just uh, preaching what he read in a commentary well of course I am, but this particular one, if you're interested is one written by Gerald Borschert, and you can you can come look at it in my uh, office this, his division of this was enlightening, and every at every one of these sections, and we'll talk about it when we go through it, there's this uh, uh, address of God as Father. Now, this is, this is a big deal just all by itself. God as Father. This was scandalous to the Jews of the day, particularly the Pharisees, but everybody, because they had come to this remote view of God And I looked and I couldn't find this. I know in the last year or so, we've talked about, I've talked about from here, the idea in the Jewish world at this time that angels served as messengers to God. Uh, from people. We, we would pray to angels, and, or they would pray to the angels, and the angels would take the message to God. And I could not remember whether we were in Thessalonians when we were talking about that, or this was earlier in John, or what. But I know I've said it from the pulpit because I recognized it. Um, but that was their view, that, that God was distant and, and someone had to take the message, and in this case angels, took the message, the prayer, from them to God. They didn't have this personal view of God as a present father. They certainly wouldn't address him that way because they had this fear of taking God's name in vain or taking it too lightly. It's why they wouldn't say the name Yahweh. It's why they wouldn't spell the name Yahweh, uh, spell the name The actual name. They would use the the word Yahweh. And even that they would treat very carefully. Because those letters stood for the name. They weren't the name. So they were insane about. And it's not a bad thing. Not taking the name of the Lord in vain. But in doing so they had made God this distant deity... That didn't have any relationship, any direct relationship with the people. So Jesus, in his prayer, he's already modeled, as Edda mentioned earlier, he's always modeled, already modeled the, the model prayer, uh, our Father who's in heaven. That was, okay, Jesus, hold on now. But then he has this prayer that's not a model, it's just him praying. And he says, Father this, Father that, and righteous father, holy father. And those that those that that title of father serve as markers, and we'll see that in just a few minutes. This is a purpose-driven prayer. It's a good way to describe it. It is not light. And, and we would not expect anything Jesus did or certainly anything that the Gospels record to be light or to be taken lightly. He's not just praying for His disciples. He's not just praying for us. He's not just praying for Himself. He is praying for the mission. The mission of taking the Gospel and making disciples. That's, that's what this is all about. The, the Gospels, the Scripture... His prayer, that's what it is about. So, if you want your big idea this morning, and you do, it should be the next slide. Jesus prays that we will complete the mission we're called to in the manner and by the method that he set forth. This is one of those foundational passages. I've, I've talked about that before too. I, I showed you uh, a picture of the tree of life in Magic Kingdom, and how underneath that uh, tree of life is a, an offshore oil rig. Uh, that's what they built it around. It's the, the foundation. Uh, allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do on the outside. I talked about Art Tatum, widely considered the greatest jazz pianist ever, and uh, his, his foundation in classical music allowed him to add whatever he wanted to do. We uh, saw another example of it just a couple of weeks ago in Disney World. They're tearing down uh, Splash Mountain or they're changing Splash Mountain from that to a uh, Princess and the Frog-themed uh, ride. I don't know what it's going to look like at all. But what they're doing right now is tearing away the, the facade, the decorations, the, the ride itself. But they're going to use the structure that's already there. They're building around what exists. It has a good foundation, so they can do what they want to on the outside. This is one of those passages. This is a foundational passage that we read, and it's, there, there are no imperatives to us. There's no uh, clarion call, obvious command, go and do this, don't do this. this is, we get to see, uh, be a part of, witness Jesus, see, Jesus praying. Now, of course, in his prayer, there's obvious uh, responsibility that comes across to us. We'll get to that, too. But this is one of those passages that we need to absorb and internalize, and that will then fuel us and strengthen us, support as a foundation, the work that we have to do as missionaries, as disciples, which is what Jesus inside of us does anyway. But I'm giving away the end of the message. Three sections, seven subsections. Section number one, the first section is verses one through eight, and Jesus is uh, praying about finishing his mission, particularly in a hostile world. That's what he's talking about here, finishing the mission in a hostile world. The first subsection of that is glorification in his mission now let me show you verse 1 already said jesus spoke these things what he's already said then he looked up to heaven and prayed or some scriptures say and said but he's talking to god so we know he is praying then verses 1 through 3 are glorification in his mission father Notice that. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. He's praying here that he would be glorified. He would be glorified, and through his glorification, therefore, God would be glorified. But he's praying that he would be glorified by finishing the mission. This is the night before his crucifixion, a few days before his resurrection. And we cannot, we 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 do this and and we look at it as two events because it's they're three days apart, but the the crucifixion and the resurrection are two sides of the same coin. They're not separate events. The Gospels see it as one event. As a matter of fact, the Gospels see the crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension all as the same event. Jesus' hour coming. It's the way Jesus taught it. So he's saying, I, I'm, I'm about done. This, this is it. I have come to the hour of the completion of the mission of dying and rising again for the salvation of the world Glorify yourself in this. Glorify your son so that you will be glorified. Glory is shared in his obedience. As he is obedient, he and the Father are glorified. Glorified. Well, we talked about, we had a whole sermon about glorified, giving honor, respect uh, what to, that is due to someone. In this case, everything that, he, that God deserves, he gets as Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is obedient as the incarnate one on earth, dying and rising again, doing this thing that's going to be horrible, that's going to be painful, that based on his statements earlier in John and then his prayer in the uh, garden, he would rather not do if there are any other way. There's not. He knows there's not. He's going to ask anyway, but he knows there's no other way. He knows that this is what he came for, and he is about to complete the mission. And in completing it, he will be glorified, and God will be glorified. And then, he says, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. There is glory then brought to Christ, brought to God, when people believe and are saved. So God is glorified by Jesus' obedience, and then God is glorified by human, humanity's obedience in following Christ. In all cases, God gets the glory. Jesus is praying for himself, that he would uh, follow through with this mission, that he has come to this point now... Lord, glorify yourself, glorify me as I glorify you in my obedience and get glory from the ones who will believe after I've gone through this act of obedience in saving them, the one uh, you sent, Jesus Christ. So he's praying now for glorification in his mission, And then, second subsection here, he is praying for glorification after his mission. Notice in verse 4, actually in in verse 5, but it's part of verse 4, this thought, he says, Father, again, here's our second Father. Verse 4, I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. This verse is why when you go back this week and you read verses uh, chapters 14 through 17, you also read chapter 1. Because chapter 1 tells us about the glory Jesus had in God before he was the incarnate son. All the way back to the beginning of whenever and before that because there was no beginning of him or God. So he is now praying for glorification after his mission. His mission is fully complete when he is fully glorified. He's not done, and this is why I say crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension are all the same event, even though they're separated. You know, It's over 43 days for us, or around 43 days for us, for the disciples. But for God, for Christ, it was, it's just one thing. And when all of that is complete, when he has been crucified, uh, raised, and has ascended and is back where he belongs next to God then the mission is fully complete because He is fully glorified. We, we read Revelation and we see the Lamb at the throne. And we, we read other passages. Uh, we read Acts and we see Stephen being stoned. And he sees the Son sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we see Him fully in His glory as best we can, as best described in Scripture. When He returns to His rightful place by the Father... At this point in, in, uh, in his life and in the prayer, he has fulfilled the other part of his mission. He says, I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. It's, it's an already completed work that he hasn't done yet. He's talking about death, burial, resurrection, ascension. Uh, but that's completed. That's done. It's in process. It's going to happen, and nothing's going to stop it. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you. Before the world, I have revealed your name, verse 6. I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. The other part of his mission, part one of the mission, Die, rise, ascend. The other part of the mission, teach. Make sure the disciples, the ones God had given him, have the knowledge and the belief that they need in order to continue the mission once he's gone. And he's saying, I've done that. They know. They believe. Now, they aren't on the most solid footing at the moment that they could be. Remember, he's, he, what he said back in verse 16. They said, oh, now you're, I mean, chapter 16, rather. Now we know what you're talking about. And he said, do you really? Right? I mean, because in just a few minutes, you're going to scatter. Y'all y'all gonna, y'all. Yawn. You leaving me. But you do know. You do believe. You're going to struggle, but you're going to get stronger. And that's what he knows now. Lord, I have taught them. I, they, they know me, they know you, they are ready to take on the mission in a little while. This These verses here, verses 6 through 8, serve as a uh, saddle text, and I, I found this interesting, a saddle text, like saddle goes on the horse. Or actually, uh, a saddle in a mountain range is, if you have two peaks, there's this, saddle between the two peaks that if you want to get from this peak to the other one, you don't have to go all the way down to the mountain and cross and go back up. You've got this ridge between it called a saddle. What this text serve as, serves as is a way of getting from, for, for, for Jesus, as a way of getting from praying for himself to praying for the others without just cutting it off and starting something new. He connects these two. He connects praying for himself for the mission he had to complete to praying for the disciples for the mission that they have to complete. He's moving now in verses 6 through 8 from praying for himself, glorify me as I glorify you. I have done the work, I have been obedient by teaching these people what I'm supposed to teach them, and they now believe, verse 9. And he moves in to praying for the future mission. Which brings us to our second section, preparing for the mission. This is verses 9 through 19. It begins with, in verse 9, I pray. There's our marker for the second section. Our division, first subsection here, is protection during the mission, verses 9 through 15. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Holy Father, there's a, there's a marker Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them has lost it was lost is lost except the son of destruction, so that scripture may be fulfilled. Now I'm coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Protection during the mission. Jesus is not going to be there to hold them together. When there were, were problems, when there was confusion, when there were questions, they, they for three years they went to Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus, what's going on here? Jesus, what are we supposed to do next? Jesus, what's the, what's the next step? Jesus, are we going over here or are we going over there? And, they, and he is not going to be there in the flesh anymore. And he's been preparing them for that. And now he is, prepare, uh, he is praying that because he will be gone or since he will be gone, they will still be unified. Protect their unity in him. He is not praying for protection from dangers and persecutions because that would make absolutely no sense since way back a little bit he said, understand that the world hated me before they hated you. In verse 15, they will also persecute you. They will do all these things to you on account of my name. But it would be odd for him to say, you're going to be persecuted. God, take them out before they get persecuted. I just wanted to scare them a little bit. No, that's not what he's praying for. This is not, he, he's not praying that God will wrap them in bubble wrap. Wrap us in bubble wrap, but particularly the disciples. Wrap them in bubble wrap so they can go through life unharmed. He's not praying for some extraction in the middle of the night where Black Hawk helicopters come in and get them out and take them home. No, that's not what he's praying for. That's not the kind of protection he's talking about. He is talking about protection from the work of the devil... That would lead to disunity and sin and distraction among the group that would take the mission off course. As we read the letters of Paul, and Paul having to go back to Jerusalem and talk in Galatians and talk to the guys and say, Look, fellas, that we got some things to work out here. Disunity was coming almost instantly once Jesus was gone. And God, Jesus is praying that the devil would lose that fight. Protect them from that. Protect them from division. Not from persecution, pain, death, all those things. Because it's not about them, it's about the mission. Well, don't want to get ahead of myself here. Verses 16, 16 through 19, the second subsection. He prays for holiness representing the mission. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. This is the one place where Father isn't in there. Yet, specifically verse 17... We know who he's talking to when he says sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And it's a different verb, it's a a, a new imperative, back at the uh, earlier it was protect, now it's sanctify, it's a new section. So this subsection is praying that the Father would give them holiness while representing the mission. Because the temptation for disunity and sin and distraction just among the group of the disciples will be tremendous. Because who's, gonna, who's the leader now? Jesus is gone. Who's going to lead the disciples? Peter is by far the uh, most outspoken one. So that would be the, the, the tendency. But, but John's got the heart, it appears, Matthew uh, is Levi is the sort of the technical one. We have the Gospel of Luke, but he wasn't a disciple. James is actually who ends up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James didn't write a gospel. How's he a leader? Well, that's that's who ends up. We, we, we. He, of course, Peter didn't write a gospel either. But James ends up being the leader of the church there would easily, could easily have been infighting over who was going to be in charge, who's going to lead, or which direction, or what do we do now, or somebody saying we shouldn't be waiting here. Well, Jesus said wait. Well, he didn't mean wait here. He meant wait, you know. Well, and besides that, the carpet's the wrong color where we're waiting. That was a joke. Thank you, one person, for laughing. There's so many things they could have fought over. And jeopardize the mission with. But he prays that they would be sanctified. Holy. Set apart. Holiness is based on the truth of God's word. And that's the prevention of being unholy. Holiness, based on the truth of God's word, is the prevention. How do I be more holy? I read more scripture. I hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. You want to be holy? Take in more Scripture. Memorize the verses. Read your Bible. Come to Connect Group. Sit through the sermon. Be a part of the discipleship group, a D group. Internalize Scripture every opportunity you get. That is how you are holy. You're made holy by the truth, by God's Word. What was God's Word? This is... But Jesus, Jesus was the Word. And when he says, sanctify him by your Word, he's talking about both these words and Jesus himself. Jesus in us, sanctifies us as the Holy Spirit leads us. You see the connections? It's a web. It's not a line. Scripture's this, not this. And as you hide it in your hearts, you're sanctified, you're made holy. And then, then we are sent to the world with the mission of making disciples. I mean, that's, that's what he's telling us here. They're not of the world. Sanctify them. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them. I set myself apart. That's really what sanctification means, set apart. I set myself apart for them so that they also may be sanctified, set apart by the truth. We, we take that word sanctification to mean holy, and we think don't sin, and that is certainly a part of it. But the other definition of sanctification, to be sanctified, is to be set apart. And you can't be set apart if you're sinful. A sacrifice is what was called holy, called set apart. And if it was blemished, it wasn't good for a sacrifice. It wasn't set apart. But what was a sacrifice set apart for? To be sacrificed. Lord, Father, set them apart. Set them apart for sacrifice. Lay down your life, take up your cross, leave father and mother. This is all being set apart. This is all being sanctified. This is all about us giving up our lives. And we all have to give up our lives. Every person in this room has to give up their life. All of us. Not just ministers. Not just missionaries. But everybody has to give up their lives. Every believer has to give up their life to make disciples. That means if I have to choose this or making a disciple, I choose making a disciple. If I have to choose this or coming and being a part of the faith community when they meet, which is Sunday mornings, at least for the last couple of years, or a few thousand, then I give up this so I can come to church. I give up this so I can be a part of a discipleship group. I give up this so I can spend time in God's Word. I give up this, I lay down my life to be a part of disciple-making because as a believer, I do not have an option to not be a disciple-maker. It's not the way it works. He's praying that we would be sanctified, holy and set apart, sinless, which we never achieve, and ready to be sacrificed at a moment's notice Romans 12, 1 and 2, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, ready, I'm paraphrasing now, ready to be sacrificed on the altar at his whim, to be used as he would see fit. The third section, Jesus prays for the future of the mission. Verses 20 through 26. This one has three subsections. You can see in verse 20, uh, I pray. There's our marker. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father. There's our subsection marker. As you, Father, are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may, be, uh, they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Quickly, there was a note I wanted to make back in verse 12. 11, when he prays for the disciples that they may be one, that the the tense of that verb actually means continually be one. Y'all, it's work. It's effort. And it's no different when he's praying for us that it's going to be work and effort to be unified, to be in unity. He says here when he's praying for unity in the mission in verses 20 through 23, he's praying not for unity for its own sake. Yes, unity is nice. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's much more enjoyable than disunity. But his purpose for the unity is not that we, are, we enjoy life, but that we are more prepared, more equipped, unified for the mission. Because mission is essential. Unity is essential for the mission. Unity isn't essential for unity. You see the difference? In, I, I've read a lot about Civil War battles over the years. And one of the worst things that could happen was when a column of troops had the enemy on its flank On either one side, or even worse, both sides. Or if they were able, if if the enemy was able to get around to the back and give them two fronts, go in the opposite direction, getting caught caught in in the crossfire. You wanted to be uh, unified in one direction because that's easier. If you had to divide your troops, that's problematic. You're, you're, you're losing most likely at that point unless you just have a whole bunch more troops. A church only has a certain number of troops. And if we are divided, the illustration I've used over the years is we, if, we're, if our goal is to pull something really large and we each have a rope attached to that thing, if we're not all pulling the same direction, we are not going to move that thing. Now, if you're pulling to the sides and sort of the same way we're going, we may get some movement, but not what we could get if we were all pulling the same direction. But if we're pulling opposite, opposite directions in equal strength, it's going nowhere. That's why he's praying for unity. Not so it looks nice with all the ropes going the same direction, but the goal of moving the the, the stone or whatever, the goal of reaching people for Jesus is achieved. Our disunity in petty disputes disproves our proclaimed discipleship. Let me say that three more times. Our disunity in petty disputes disproves our proclaimed discipleship. Our disunity in petty disputes disproves our proclaimed discipleship. I may just say it until I get at least one amen. Amen. Thank you. Because if you disagree, you're probably part of the disunity that disproves our discipleship. If we are fighting about the things that don't matter, when the mission, mission critical, when the mission is what matters, we are disproving our calling to the mission of making disciples. The mission fails if we aren't united in the mission. If, pick your battle, if a column of troops, half of them said, well, you know, I'm here to fight, and the other half said, well, I'm here to cook, and a third half said, I'm here to color. And a fourth half said, well, I thought we were just here for the scenery. I know there aren't four halves. That's not mission critical. That is people that have no clue what they're here for. The church is here to make disciples. You are here to make disciples. You're here on Sunday morning to be equipped. To equip the saints. That's that's actually my job description to equip the saints to do the work. My work is to equip you to do the work. We've got to be on mission. And Jesus said, by this they will know we are His disciples, that we love one another. So unity is not a throwaway It's not for its own sake, but it's not something we can just get rid of. And it can't just be, I mean, I I guess to some extent it it can be that we just all do the same job, but we don't like each other, but eventually that's not going to work out. Uh, You're you're not going to want to stand next to that person pulling your rope because you're going to constantly see how that person you don't like isn't pulling the rope as well as you are. Why can't you pull the rope this way? You know you need to put the rope over your shoulder, not un, around your waist. You know, you know, if you had different shoes on, you wouldn't pull. On and on and on and on. Love. Unity. That is what we need in the mission. But Jesus doesn't just pray for unity in the mission. He prays for success in the mission. Verse 24. Uh, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. In this prayer, we hear Jesus' heart's desire that we get to be with him. Father, there's your marker. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Jesus wants you to be with Him. Half the time, I don't want me to be with me. And yet, Jesus wants me with Him. Jesus wants every believer with Him. That's His desire. Our mission is to take as many people with us... As we can to see Jesus's glory because he wants everyone that the Father has given him to come and be with him and everyone that the Father has given him is everyone who will believe it is Jesus's plea here that many are saved because of our faithfulness to the mission church he's praying be unified in the mission So that you can bring as many possible to see me uh, with you to see me. That is our mission. We have no other mission. So every activity of our church should, in some way, fulfill that mission. Jesus' plea that we succeed in the mission by bringing people with us when we go to see his glory and then lastly in verses 25 and 26 the seventh subsection of the third section power in the mission righteous father there's our marker righteous father the world has not known you However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. The fuel for the mission is God's love for the world in us. The same book, the, same, uh, the Bible, the same gospel has, for God so loved the world, for God loved the world in this manner. Loved the world. And now he's saying, may you be in them. May I be in them. Verse uh, chapter 15. We will come to you, he said. Let us be in them. And then they will make known the love that I have loved them with. To the ones that need to hear it. The fuel for the mission is God's love for the world, but it's God's love for the world in us so that we, too, love the world. The world doesn't love God. And the world does not know God, but we do. Through Jesus, we both love and know Him. Then we need to turn around and share that love. God will continue, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, He will continue to work in us To love the world that he loves. That's what he's praying for. That we will continually be a conduit of God's love to the world. And Jesus will be right here. I'm going away, but I'm not going away. I'm sending the paraclete, the comforter, the the counselor to to do all these things in you. He will be in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave us. In every conversation, on every mission trip, in every discipleship relationship, Jesus will be right there with us. So that means there's nothing we can't do. There's nothing that we can't achieve. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that doesn't mean win the Super Bowl. But yes, that does mean be unified. Love each other. Love the world. Or to use our markers, our subsections, to be protected from sin. To be holy as we represent a holy God. To be unified in the mission. To find success in the mission. And to have power in the mission. Do you see from this 35,000 foot view, Jesus praying not for himself. Not for the disciples. Not for us. At least not exclusively for us, the disciples and himself. But for the mission how He fulfills the mission, how the disciples would fulfill the mission by the way they did because we exist as believers. Now, are we going to fulfill the mission as Jesus has prayed? That's the question this morning for us believers. The question, if you've never trusted Jesus, is are you a part of that group? Are you one of the ones that's going to get to see his glory someday. You're one of the ones he's praying for. He either, you either already are, or he's praying that you will. That you will trust him, that you will believe in him, that you will uh, find salvation in him. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when Jesus prays for the mission, when he prays for those that will know him someday, he's praying for you, that you will know him. I pray, I pray, that our church is a witness to God's love. And that if you've come here this morning, or you're watching online, that you have experienced God's love through believers. But if you haven't, Know that believers fail. We don't represent Christ always as we should, but Jesus will never fail you. He will never let you down. So this morning, you can have salvation in Him, regardless of what you see anywhere else, and you can be a part of His family. Father, I want those You have given me to be with me where I am, Will you this morning choose to follow Christ and one day be with him where he is? Repent of your sins and trust in salvation. And and take the next step, whatever that next step is for you. Maybe it is to trust Jesus this morning. In a few minutes when we sing... I'll be down here on my right, Chelsea be to my left, a couple of our deacons will be in the back, Lee and Kirk, Justin will be in the back, our youth minister. Maybe you'd like to have them pray with you about your decision to follow Christ. Maybe you want to just come up here and pray. Pray about the unity in our church. Pray about your responsibility for the unity in our church. Pray about the mission of our church. Pray about your mission For Christ and how you need to be a better disciple you want to come here and y'all yes if you walk to the front everybody's gonna look at you and go well they have something to pray about well you know what if they look at you maybe they'll go oh yeah and I have something to pray about too and they'll follow you maybe you need to be the example and not worry about what everybody else is thinking but certainly we all have something to pray about this morning Submit to God's plan and purpose. Join our church if that's your desire. Share your decision with us. But this morning, hear Jesus' prayer for you and respond by fulfilling the mission he's given you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have worked on our hearts. You have shown us the mission. You have provided the tools. We have the Holy Spirit. There is nothing we need and there's nothing we can't do if we will merely be obedient. (laughs) Merely. Lord, may we be obedient. God, please, may we be obedient. Root out the sin. Root out the disunity. Root out the disillusionment, root out the malaise. Lord, may we be on fire for you. May we be a loving, welcoming, gospel-centered, truth-telling church. May we be what you've called us to be, and Jesus, what you prayed for us to be. We give it to you this morning. Asking for your hand, your wisdom, your leadership, trusting in you to be all that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing, you come as you feel led. Let's stand together.